Great American Southwest. I bid you all good evening or good morning, depending on your location time zone-wise. From the Tahitian and Hawaiian Islands, in the west, east to the Caribbean, and the U.S. Virgin Islands, south to South America, north to Santa Country at the pole, this is Coast to Coast AM. I'm Art Bell. Okay, um, I promised Daniel Brinkley, and we're going to deliver. In 1975, a friend said of Daniel Brinkley that he was a lean, mean fighting machine, just returned uh, to the U.S. from a reconnaissance uh, mission in Nicaragua. Friendly country, then, huh? Anyway, while talking on the phone with a uh, boyhood friend, a bolt of lightning ran down the telephone wires, striking him in the neck. Thousands of bolts of electricity went down his spine, traveling through the bottoms of his feet, into the nails in the heel of his shoes, which there immediately welded themselves to the nails in the shoes nailed into the floor. So uh, it all became one. That's what grounded him, kept him from virtually exploding. The lightning picked him up, threw him across the room. He opened his eyes once and then died. The next 28 minutes, he had a NDE, near-death experience, which included a, a full-life review. That must have been awful. A meeting with a celestial being of some sort, the revealing of several visions that would occur prior to the year 2004, 96 out of 117 of which have already come true. Plus, he was sent back with a mission. That's in quotes. The mission is better than what we have in Bosnia, is to put together health centers that will help people facing death find wellness and assist people in managing the ever-increasing stress in our world's future, or what I call the quickening. His two, now, near-death uh, experiences, profoundly as you can imagine they would, changed his life. So coming up in just a moment, Daniel Brinkley. North American trading um, has been preaching through me to you for a long time now, that there is a currency change a-coming. Oh, it's tough. And they've already got the $100 bills ready for distribution soon now, as a matter of fact. The other currency, the other uh, denominations of currencies will follow. If you would like, right now, for free, to know how this kind of thing could affect you, you need to pick up the telephone and call North American Trading. Mention my name. If you want to, either way, you'll get the free information. Call is free, so is the information. It's power, and eventually it's money. Information is always that. The number is 1-800-877-9799. That's 1-800-877-9799. North American Trading. All right. We're trying to take care of business here in just one moment. Uh, Mr. Brinkley. You've heard our GMX ads for about a year and a half now, so what are you waiting for? GMX is the way to treat your hard water problems and without salt. Not only can you eliminate dealing with salt, 
You can also forget maintenance, extra electricity bills, or other hidden ongoing costs. Aren't you tired of hard water scaling? That ugly white stuff around your faucets, causing toilet bowl ring and clogging the shower head, not to mention the water heater. GMX will take care of all that once and for all. How can you go wrong? In most homes, the GMX water conditioner pays for itself in two years or less, especially after your water heater throws off its hard water scaling and becomes more efficient. It will happen, folks. And then you continue to save money for years and years. The GMX units never wear out for about a $600 investment with an unconditional 90-day money-back guarantee. You can try out the GMX water conditioner and see for yourself. Give them a call at 1-800-4060-VMX. That's 1-800-4060-VMX. All right. A uh, best-selling author and uh, renowned speaker, Daniel Brinkley, lives in South Carolina, where we're going, as a matter of fact, where he does, you might want to know, hospice work. Uh, in other words, he works with uh, people who have terminal diseases. Uh, that's the work he says he was called to do. Researches alternative medical therapies, works closely with the National Institute of Health, Board of Compatible and Alternative Medicine to create a better perspective on wellness. Dr. Raymond Moody, who's been on this program, I don't know, three or four times, uh, considers uh, Daniel his most noted student of NDEs. He's had two of them. The lightning incident I told you about, and then during open-heart surgery, these were 14 years apart. He wrote Saved by the Light First. Now he's got a new book out. We'll tell you about that. It's called uh, A Peace in the Light. Has been on Oprah, Larry King Live, Unsolved Mysteries, and probably a zillion other shows, and now he's here. Uh, Daniel, uh, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Art. You're wonderful. Oh, it's good. It's great to have you on, finally. You know what? I couldn't. I don't think that there's anything left for me to talk about. You just did the whole the whole conversation so eloquently. Oh no! You're going to fill in all the blank spots. That's right. That's what you can do. Um, and to do that, first thing I'm going to do is admit to you. You know, I haven't read. Of all things, of all things, I haven't read Saved by the Light. And so, well, the piece in the light's good. I'm happy enough that you're reading that. Um, well, I haven't read it. It's in front of me. It's a very good guy. I just got it. Um, so let the, in a way, it's going to make it a lot easier. Let's go back to your first experience. And if you would, uh, describe in your own words what really happened to you that first time on the telephone. Take the situation. I'm 20 years later, as I tell, as I talk to you now, I'm 20 years later. 20 years. But here's a guy who starts his life as a complete jerk that really has a self-centered, antagonistic type nature that thought that power would be represented by how, you know, literally how brutal you could be and played sports and interreacted in uh, fist fights and reaction and understanding how to do damage to things as a way of life, as a mentality for, for what I thought was my identity. 
and then ending up in the Vietnam era and going through whole types of situations where I ended up doing intelligence work, doing work in contracts for various agencies to where everything that I did was a lot of times for the government, but the reinforcement part would come and that I did a good job blowing something up or destroying something. And so I had a continuous cycle of, of perpetuating a, an identity of myself. Were you in intelligence in Vietnam? Well, let's just say that I have worked in that. I don't like to put that too tight into perspective because then that people ask you too many questions about stuff. You have to sit there with your mouth shut and just look at them. Yeah. And I mean, I love my country, no question. But if I see my country do, and I've taken part in things about what my country's done since the Cold War era mm-hmm. and fought proxy wars in countries, and because we wanted to preserve our way of life, that we systematically fought many battles and that we fought proxy wars in countries. Yeah, there's no question I was a part of that. There's no question that I lived in that world. There's no question that I watched from that world and that I executed and performed acts that I that now are the most horrendous things for me to think about in my life, but yet it was a daily routine in the course of where I was by the time I'm 25 years old. So you had a whole life of violence. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was how I looked at things. It's how I dealt with it. I didn't listen to it two minutes. I knocked it out. What, yeah. ser- what service were you in? Marine Corps. So you got out of the Marine Corps? Mm-hmm. After Nam, you got out of the Marine Corps. I, I did the same thing. Mine was the Air Force, but, you know, after after my time, four years, thank you, goodbye. Well, I stayed. I mean, I just went to work doing the same things, but on the outside, because then it was contract. When you look at what a description of me would be now would be plausible deniability. My existence by, you know, like they say, military intelligence is an oxymoron, but... My my particular, if I had to describe it, it would be plausible not deniability that you could have someone who knew how to do it to do it, yet you could never take any responsibility for it. I think that what we let happen to us, Art, and I know you know this is true because we're in the same age group, mm-hmm. that what we let happen is for one day, because we, a lot of people didn't want to really look at it, we chose to let lying, cheating, stealing, uh, murder become ways at which we operated our government, our way of life. It's true. That way has created a moral decay in this country that's really affecting it because we let our, that it was, that instead of facing it and deal with it and dealing with it and we chose to do the clandestine world, which built whole empires. I mean, you know, I lived in that from that, from the time I was 19 years old till I was 25 years old, and I still have knowledge and stuff of being around a lot of uh, uh, things that go on in that world. Yeah, I mean, without you having to say anything, you know, looking at what Hazel O'Leary has admitted we've done right. to our own people, or looking at... Uh, Nightline and the other programs that have recently come forward and said, guess what, folks? We've been doing remote viewing officially <laughs> part of the U.S. government for 20 years now. Yeah, that's pretty wonderful. So, well, so um, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So to tell you, that I was a part of that, and that was the way the character operated. Then one day, now, I mean, just a guy from South Carolina who grew up in the 50s and 60s, you know, I'm a baby boomer. That's what this book is dedicated to. 
to the baby boomers. You mean, you mean you're talking about the new book now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. To those of, but that's what it's been dedicated to. So I'm 25. I go in, I come home from my life, which was to go and do reconnaissance or whatever it was, and this was the fall of the Anastasia Smoshi regime was not as, was coming up, the Sandinistans, the Monroe Doctrine was in place, so we weren't going to have any foreign governments or it wasn't going to be democracy, but really what it was was it didn't suit how the system was working in Central and South America. So I would go down and set up what would happen, like do the logistics on it. Mm-hmm. What you would blow up, you destroy infrastructure of things, uh, power generators, systems, people who are in certain places of power, so that you complete, you create anarchy, Absolutely. which then you reinstall who you want. That's just how we've operated, you know. No offense, that's how we operated. So I come home, quiet little life, very comfortable, real tight, without without ever anybody knowing what I did. I work within my family. One, just one thing, I wonder. Uh, how do you jump from a private, uh, excuse me, a, a, a public sector life of doing the kind of stuff you were doing, and how do you make that uh, pay your way in the private sector? Uh, say that again? <laughs> I know it was with the kind of stuff you did in the military. Uh, when you get out of the military... Oh, that's a whole... I got you. Yeah. Oh, all right. That is a whole, that is a whole world of wonderment and how all that operates and how you get paid and how all that stuff operates. It's a world of wonderment that it is. I don't, oh, you, you, you know what? When you live in a life, for, for, for your adult life, and you watched it, it became a world that you've watched and you watch it from an inside knowing how it operates and how ridiculous and how wild some of the stuff it does. And all those interactions, it's pretty strange. So sometime we'll have that conversation, but it won't be on national radio. You, uh, you, you killed people. Sure. Yeah. Okay, so here you are. So here I am home in this quiet life, and I'm talking to a friend because I restored antique cars. I would restore cars, and like everybody in the South, you know, we mess with cars. I would restore cars. Sure. And I, was, I had found a 1932 LaSalle which was with Teardrop, which was the magnificent car, and I could put it back together really easily. It was all the parts were there and everything. Right. And this friend was supposed to help me fix the garage once I took the car out. Typical afternoon, just some guy. I just happened to live in that clandestine world. I go to call him on the telephone. And it's like thunder and lightning, like anybody else's life, any just a normal guy, you know. All of a sudden... I hear a thunder, and I said, Tommy, I have to get off the phone. And he says, well, why? And I said, it's what thunder and lightning. He said, well, Mr. Macho, you know, what's the big deal? I said, then I'm thinking, I said, well, Mom never said talk on the telephone with it's thunder and lightning. Like, what else do you say? Mom was right. Yeah, I mean, you know, don't do it. The next thing, he says, oh, listen to Mr. Tough Guy. The next thing that happened is lightning strikes next to the telephone line. It follows down the line. I'm hit in the neck by the lightning. It runs down my spine. It runs the nails of the heels of my shoes to the nails in the floor. It throws me in the air. It suspends me in the air and it slams me back down on the bed and bends the bed frame. I never heard of the near-death experience. 
I wouldn't have believed it if someone had come and told it to me. I didn't live in that world. I didn't think in that kind of stuff. And I didn't, you know, I didn't think about death except that it, I lived around it all the time. It could have been my time, but I wasn't into religion. I didn't have a whole bunch of preconceived notions about it. And all of a sudden, I'm on fire. And I'm burning. And I do not know where I am. Were you conscious? Oh, I was conscious, pal. Uh, I, I mean, when, when I ask conscious, I, I'm asking uh, prior to the beginning of what you're going to call the NDE experience, um, or from the second you got hit physically uh, with the lightning, yeah. you were in the NDE at that second? Oh, no. No, I was no. on fire. You were on fire. It was as though I drank battery acid. I mean, I was seriously burning. I couldn't move. What I was thinking about was my wife, what I thought had happened. Because as many a cold day and night when I came to get them, somebody had come to even the score is what my mindset was. It was just my time. So that's what I thought had happened. I couldn't determine if it was a rocket grenade or a hand grenade or a C4, C3, Fantax, whatever kind of explosive. But I couldn't move. That makes sense. Yeah, see, my automatic reflexes, rock, roll, position, load, clip, hit, see, you know, recon, see how much of it's left. It's yeah. Fight on. That's my mindset. I'm worried about my wife because I didn't know I couldn't move and I couldn't get to her and I'm terrified and I'm burning and I can't hardly, I can't see and I don't know what had happened. And all of a sudden I'm in this blue-gray place. A blue-gray place. A blue-gray place, comfortable. And it's as though I'm floating. And it's not like like in a swimming pool, but it's more buoyant than that. You know, it's not like in a water, but it was more buoyant. And I roll over and I see myself lying across the bed. I see me. I see her down the hall. Wow. I see her turn and look, and I'm watching myself, and I'm amazed at how much more brilliant and how much more wondrous the colors were of the things that were around me. And so many things that that, I, that had been in this bedroom for as long as I'd lived in the place that I never saw, and the way I was seeing it. And I'm watching her come down the hall. I watch her try to rest work on me. The guy was on the other end of the phone, heard the explosion. He came straight over. Can you, can you remember what you looked like on the bed? Well, I was smoking. The room was filled with smoke. There was... Uh, uh, I was... I was looked like I had steam rising from me. Were you moving? Oh no, I wasn't moving. Now, I mean, you gotta realize that I was not breathing for 28 minutes. You I stopped was... breathing for 28 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, long before 28 minutes should have expired, you should have undergone brain death. Well, I would uh, say that that may explain part of my problem. <laughs> you know, they say after five minutes you have brain damage. That's right. But, you know, I'll, I'll accept that, you know, that might be part of my problem, but I've looked at that. But I think uh, after 28 minutes, uh, at best, you ought to be a mindless vegetable. Uh, but, but you see, here's the really odd thing about that. I would agree, except that that term comes from a concept that was, that was established like uh, 80 years ago. Was they're resuscitating people in hospitals now that have been I know. dead for three hours. I know. So the really funny part about it is 
they, the, the now, what is now termed dead, and when you have brain damage, and when oxygen brain deprivation and sensory deprivation and those kinds of things, I'm a firm believer that in biological shutdown and biochemical shutdown, when the body goes to the place where it goes now, then I, I can accept a lot of the theory because I work in hospice. I die with people. Yeah. All right, I, I don't want to interrupt your story. A group late, uh, a gray place, and you can so, see your wife trying to res uh, coming to you. The two people resuscitating me. I send. I see Tommy having a conversation with Sandy, and Sandy, he's trying to keep her calm. He was a corpsman in the Navy, so he knew I wasn't breathing. He knew, because, I mean, he had seen people die as he worked in the hospitals in the Navy. He knew. So he sends her next door to call the, um, the paramedics. And I'm watching him, and I could watch him and hear his thoughts of what he felt about me and what he was thinking about and, and our childhood, because we've been friends a long time, rushing back through his mind. The paramedics get there, and they're working on me, but they're different. They're reacting different. Their energy in between them, everyone has a silhouette or an energy form around them. So I never knew any of this stuff until I was dead. And I'm watching this happen. They load me in the ambulance. I'm watching, instead of going with my body, I move through the house, through the walls, and I'm watching the things, and I come out into the place it's raining. I'm watching the raindrops hit my face. I'm not disoriented. I'm aware and cognizant of so many things that I've that been in this neighborhood for as long as I've been there, but I've never seen them before. And it was as though I was seeing everything. I mean, I'm seeing it, and I'm comfortable. You're at a different level of awareness. That's unbelievable. Who we are as the powerful and mighty spiritual beings that we are. And once we lift up out of this body, once we lift up out of it, who we see that we are. Were you, were you uh, during this period of time, conscious enough to be asking yourself, questions or were you just I was too amazed by it. Just an amazing Yeah, observer. I mean it was just the most awesome, wondrous, curious, loving kind of thing I'd ever seen and you know, I'd ever been a part of. It was the most wondrous thing. And this is and what I'm describing are happens to everybody. It's not just uniquely Daniel Brinkley or the other fourteen million people out there who've had one of these that in the United States, the estimate that more than fourteen million people have had a near-death experience and talked about it. I right. Mean, okay, so it's not just me. This happens to us all. But I wasn't thinking, if this guy was working on me, now I'm paying attention to a lot more things then than I've ever paid attention to. I was in an ambulance, and this is, I was in an ambulance, and I had never been in the, the new truck-type ambulances before it was like the same car that was rehearsed. Then all of a sudden you had a truck that was a paramedic. This is how it happened in the South. All right, Daniel, we've got to hold it there. We're at the bottom of the hour. So uh, you're in the ambulance, and we'll pick it up right there uh, as we come back, all right? Thank you, Stay sir. right where you are, Daniel Brinkley. Mike. 24 hours a day. Because frequently people forget things until the last minute. one 800 562 Back now to Daniel Brinkley. Uh, Daniel, welcome back. Uh, great to be back, Art. Uh, well, Art, can I tell you something? You have some really great sponsors. Oh, we do. I know. I mean, these are great sponsors. I've written down every one of these numbers, <laughs> and I will be calling them. Yeah, thank you. Uh, at any rate, um, you were um, you were in an ambulance. You were dead. Well, 
Well, that's exactly. You know, when you realize that the impact, 28 minutes, no pulse, no respiration, no heartbeat. That's it. And watch this. Not only that, completely paralyzed for six days. Partially paralyzed for seven months. It took me two years to learn to walk and feed myself, and I lost more than 60 pounds in the course of it. It wasn't just like some guy getting struck by lightning and all of a sudden, you know, he's dead for a few minutes and they bring him back. Well, you didn't even get to that. How did they bring you back? Well, here's how they brought me back. I just came back. But let's, let's tell the story because there's a lot of stuff in between those two. All right. All of a sudden, I'm in this ambulance. And I'm looking around inside this ambulance because I've never been in one before. Well, people are going to be amazed on at how alive you are when you're dead. Uh-huh. You're going to be so amazed at how alive you are and what you're looking at and what you pay attention to that you're not really thinking about that you're dead. And, I mean, this is me talking to a lot of people who had near-death experience. Okay, this is like a constant thread that I see going through your story, uh, an increased consciousness, awareness of oh, everything. Oh, yes, absolutely. Like everything's brighter. Well, everything is, is far more in detail and more comprehensible. Things are, it, as you look at it, you, un, you absorb and understand what it is, and you know very consciously what it is. It's, it's more like you can see things than you think them through. The, the ability of the thought processes begin to change. But here I am, never heard of any of this stuff. You know, I, you know, I was never heard of it. I never even thought about it. They wouldn't, and I would have humiliated or probably... Uh, slugged the guy or shot him to see if he had a near-death experience, whoever, whoever told me this story. Then all of a sudden, the guy says, he's gone. He's gone. I'm thinking to myself, gone where? Because I'm not paying attention to what he's doing. He begins to move the sheet, and I look over my shoulder at me. A tunnel forms. This tunnel is moving whether I'm moving or not, and I'm pulled down it. I become more comfortable and more at peace with where I'm going and what I'm doing than ever before. I was not afraid. But it didn't matter where I was, as opposed to that body on fire and burning, and I couldn't walk and I couldn't see and I couldn't move and the pain that I was in. To the place that I was at that moment, I would have never, ever thought about going back. Never. I would never, even to this day, if I'd have a choice, I wouldn't have gone back to that body. And I wouldn't be in this pain now if it was really totally up to me. So I come into this place of the most radiant light. It's really terrific. I mean, it's bright and brilliant. And it has this, it's like fog or a mist. I'm looking around, and yes, I'm thinking about where it is, where am I, where is this place, what exactly is happening to me, but not quite that way, more in a, a, a lighter state, not quite as worried about it. Sure. All of a sudden, out of the right side to my right, this being appears. And when I say a being, I mean a B-E-I-N-G for people uh, west of the Rockies. <laughs> okay, not a being. Uh-huh. What, what exactly is Could you describe this being? Imagine uh, you're in a gym. And the, a lot of these descriptions took years for me to come up with. And as poor as they are, they're the best I have. Imagine being in a big auditorium and someone opens the door. And as they open the door to, from, to the outside on a sunny day and you step in and you see the silhouette of a person and the lights around them and that light fills the gym or fills the auditorium. Okay, I've got the picture. And then radiating in, in hues with 
colors, but this emanated colors from the inner part of its inner being, it would emanate out in different shades and hues, of subtle pastel colors as though its thought processes were changing, its moods, its energies. I look down at my hand, I'm doing the same thing, but different. Not quite as intense or as wondrous as this being I'm seeing, but I'm doing the same thing. As I look down at my hand, and I have a hand, and it looks like it's covered in silk, and it looks as though it's more fluid than it does as I look at it in the physical sense. This being, uh, as you saw it outlined, or even radiating, would you have, did you see what would you would describe as a human form, a vaguely human form, or... You don't think in those terms. You don't think in those terms. No, you're you're living in the spirit in the spiritual dimension. Then you are back home where you came from. You begin to automatically acclimate toward it. Some twenty years later. Okay, but you saw the physical form of your own hand. Oh yes, absolutely. So, I mean, and it was there. I could literally almost see through it, but I could see that it existed. The, the ethereal body that I had a body and I was in one and the one that I had just left you could have it I didn't care about where it was they were rushing it to the hospital they were sticking needles in it they were pounding on it they just they they say they resuscitated me some say that they didn't then they lost me again another 15 minutes has passed and they covered me with a sheet and rolled me into a little room next to the uh, emergency room and turned the light out I filled out the papers and left them on the top and they turned the light out because they were busy that night in the, this was a medical university, they were busy that night in the hospital. And so that's what's going on while they're rushing me to the to the hospital, in the ambulance, but I'm in this place right. where this being comes. I don't know all that stuff. Those are stories that were told to me by the doctors and the people that were there. I don't, I don't know any of that. And then I'm in this place and I am watching how how it it's alive and the, the light, this bright, brilliant light. I'm as much of a part of it as it is a part of me. And I know this is where I came from. I know that this is the place I'm supposed to be and this is where I came from. Right. And I begin to watch as this, is, this happens. This being moves closer to me. This being comes closer to me. I feel this energy about being surrounded and comfortable and loving and these are the most important this this perspective is the perspective that is in play then it's not my analytical military minded lock and load yep. position that's gone that doesn't even exist as a in any format in what i'm going through and then this thing gets close to me all of a sudden i start feeling all the childlike feelings that you feel as a kid and then I start forming opinions about them, like in the young adulthood or teenage years or you know, in adolescence, you form opinions about what you like and what you dislike. But all of a sudden, I had a panoramic life of view, 360-degree panoramic life of view, literally of everything I had ever seen, ever gone through, ever touched, it ever happened, everything. Then all of a sudden, as I'm watching all of this and I'm living it, I'm not only experiencing my entire life from birth to the day I got struck by lightning. I am watching it from an overview, and I'm also observing it. It's as though I'm three perspectives looking at it. Now, this was wild. This was pretty wild for me, Art. I had it wild for anybody, but Daniel, considering how you described your earlier life, 
Did you, as you reviewed your life in, in almost three dimensions, I guess, um, guilt, uh, anger, mean, anger, revulsion, um, Oh, listen, Art, it hadn't even started getting good to you yet. <laughs> Wait till you hear this next part. And remember, this is going to happen to you, too. So everybody that's listening, this is not just one guy from South Carolina. I mean, it's just one guy from South Carolina, but this is how you leave this world, too. I don't care what anybody tells you. This is the way your mom will, your dad will, your brothers and your sisters. I'm with you. I'm with you. This is the way you leave this world. So not only did I see and feel everything I went through, I literally became every person that I had ever encountered in my life. And I got to feel the direct results of my interaction between me and those people. I, I not only got to feel the anger, frustration, humiliation, pain, literally, horror that I had inflicted on thousands of people, you know, in lots of different countries and lots of different places in that in that 25 years, that it was awesome to me. It was the most humiliating thing, but the humiliation was not so much in that, in, in that I had done it, but I got to feel. That tells me there's justice and there's fairness and there's righteousness and there is a day of judgment. But guess who judges you? You judge you. It's you who looks at you. Mm -hmm. I mean, people think that there's a, a God or a devil or they're going to be judged by by a force outside of themselves. They're making a mistake. You know, Daniel, um, even those of us who have not had death experiences, I'm calling yours death experience. Uh, we all, as we begin to get older, begin to judge ourselves, I think. We start to review as a natural course our, our life. I think that's maturity, though. But I think it's that we also are aware of our spiritual side, too, Art. I'm 45 years old. I've been out here dealing in these issues since one day in 1975 by no choice of my own. One day, everything I didn't believe and was against, I became. And then in the course of it, I saw a system by which we as powerful and mighty spiritual beings leave this world. If we could if we could get our mindset back to looking at what's really who we really are, these next seven or eight years won't be near as weird as they're about to become. But if we don't do that, we put ourselves in our in place where by virtually being afraid of death, we set up such fear-based psychologies, we give up most of our freedoms and our rights, and if there ever was a time that a, a one-world government or all those uh, conspiracy theoretical applications could be in place, it's right now. It's right now. So by us looking at it and by doing this show, I mean, I'm a 45-year-old guy. I've been here 20 years, but I've been through two near-death experiences. One at, one at 25 years old when I was the biggest asshole in the world. And another one 14 years later when I had to have open-heart surgery. They took my heart out of my chest. And they stopped the, the heartbeat, pump, put me on pumps, life support systems, and cut my heart open. And I had a second near-death experience. In the course of that, from the being that jerk, I became a hospice volunteer. I've been a hospice volunteer for 17 years. been a nursing home volunteer for 12 years. I got my 151st patient, a person, a friend, as you want to call them, that I've been with in various stages of death. So I not only have the, the nature of growing up in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, I'm not only a baby boomer, but I've been through this twice. 
I've been around since Dr. Raymond Moody first wrote his book in 1975. I'm one of the first people that he talked to as he was putting this book together. I know every major researcher in the world that deals with these issues. And I know and study everything that I can find out about them because I believe that us not being afraid of dying, not being afraid of it, and looking at this based on just as I've seen it happen twice. You know, like we were talking about earlier, it doesn't take a damn rocket scientist. If you kill a guy a couple of times, he'll figure something out. <laughs> People ask me, they say, Dan, well, did you get religion? No, I did not get religion. Did you get spiritual? Yes, I got a little spiritual out of it. What did you get? I got smart. You know, I'll see how it operates. And I've heard people who were breathing their last breath tell me the same thing. That's what I write about in these books. Saved by the Light is the history, which is what we're talking about now. And a piece of the light, a piece in the light is me looking back at 20 years, talking to the generation that's born between 1940 in 1964. You're born between 1940 and 1964. You're in the same place where I am. You're looking at the same issues that I'm dealing with. You're looking at your mortality. Yeah, right. And you're trying to figure out how to deal with the people who you love and those who have loved you face theirs. Moms and dads, aunts and uncles, and friends, neighbors, brothers and sisters. And what I deal with is looking at these issues for these 20 years, how to take and take what what's happened to me and apply it to your everyday life and watch the same things that I've been watching. The predictions, the so-called prophecies that everybody rants and raves about that keeps coming true. But when people ask me, would I become a prophet or a seer? I say, no. I went through this experience when I, when I was struck by lightning. These are the things that I saw happen, written down, documented. I mean, you know, this is 20 years ago. It's not something I just started talking about yesterday. It's 20 years from people who were the early researchers in this hearing these things as we would talk in the early days. It is interesting. You're doing the, you wrote this book uh, at a very timely moment. Uh, NBC ran a story the other night about people turning 50. There are now 10,000 people in America turning 50 every day, and they're beginning to realize, as you suggested, their own mortality. They're beginning to become, according to NBC and their survey, spiritual, not, interestingly, not necessarily with structured religion, Absolutely. but they're becoming, uh, according to all the surveys, more spiritual. So your book is out for these people at just the right time. Well, because, look, spirit designed so much of what this is, Art. I, I, I spent 20 years, my, I, my entire adult life, here. And I changed. And if, I, if there was somebody out there who grew up in the same time frame and who had been through what I'd been through, and that person was not writing books and talking, helping me deal with my mortality mm -hmm. and dealing with the issues of my friends and neighbors and brothers and sisters got cancer and AIDS, and now my mom and my dad died, my aunts and my uncles. Mm -hmm. If that person wasn't out there helping me, I'd have an opinion about it, okay? <laughs> I, I mean, I'd have one, and it's happened to me. I didn't volunteer for it. And the way I learned it was being struck by lightning one day. Everything I was totally against one day I became. And I watched it and looked at it. And then the second time when they cut my heart out of my chest because of complications from dealing with uh, being struck by lightning. And I just peeled over. 
I went to the, you know, I just keeled over. All right. All and right. when you get there, when you get there, and you look at it, we are in a place by providing, I believe, the, the greatest sin and greatest crisis that we are in this country and in this whole world is that we allow people to die alone. And it is, everybody knows that I'm a closet, closet hospice volunteer, that my big thing in my life is that people learn to do hospice work. And I've recruited nearly 8,000 hospice volunteers, and I've helped hospice programs all over this country, and I'm an avid supportive believer, and I'm also a hospice volunteer myself for 17 years. And you do a lot of it, don't you? Absolutely. I don't just talk this crap. You just... You, you, I do it. You, you, do you... When you go in and you're working with a dying person, do you come at them just about the way you're coming at us right now? Depends on the person. I come at each person. Person. Where they come from. Some people that I go... That I'm with for a year, I never talk about near-death experience. I never deal with the issue. What I deal with is that's what a piece is about. A piece is me having and developing a structure by which to be able to become intuitive and to deal with the issues of closure in the final days. Right. And I write chapters about how to deal with it, what to look at. Not, I'm a practical application kind of guy. I've went through the experiences. I understand that we're powerful spiritual beings. I understand that we don't die. And I understand that the way that institutions, religions, and our government has us, but we're afraid of facing these issues. And by not facing them, we create so many ways of horror, like the 70 cents of every dollar in health care to spend in the last six months of life to extend life an average of 19 days. I know. That means that they are torturing people to death. I know. So I support living wills, and I, I talk about the issues in the book. There's some pretty cosmic stuff in Saved by the Light, and then in, 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 at peace in the light. There's no question about it. There are predictions of things for the future that, and we'll, I know we'll talk about it. Yeah, that's, that's what's coming. Uh, yeah, we we'll save that to I, the I, end I, so we keep them on the line. Well, right? well yeah, yeah, you hook them up. Look, I, I, <laughs> I'm, a very, I'm a very good friend of Gordon Michael Scallions. Oh, he's terrific. Um, he is a very... You know, and what I've said of him on the air, because I've talked to Gordon for hours off the air, Daniel. This is like a real person. Yeah, it's like yeah. a real person. And whether, you know, what he says is real or will come to pass, I don't know. All I know is he's really sincere. And as far as I'm concerned, if there is the real McCoy, Gordon's the one. I've spent hours with him on the phone. Oh, yeah. Gordon is predicting the probability... Well, and I hope people underline that word, probability now. Yeah, because we all have the ability to change and alter all of this. Of a series of events that will, you know, not end the world, but it's going to change everything, and there will be millions that will not make it. Uh, well, that'll be the great part. So remember the difference between cataclysm and natural disasters and what we perpetrate on each other. Mm -hmm. as, as we live in this human existence. One of the main things is when you have to see your life pass before you twice, when you see it happen twice, 14 years apart, you learn a system of how to look at your everyday life. That's what that piece is about. Look, we're at the top of the hour. I do, one quick question. Were both experiences um, pretty much the same? Yes. 
like in a box, what I would call a video box, much like Michael is, Gordon Michael is describing. It would come at me from each of these beings that would send its own box, and the box would open up, and I would look in, and then all of a sudden I was back in physical reality. I was living these events. I was watching things go on, like in 1975. I said that there would be a nuclear accident in the Soviet Union in 1986, and then there would be a second, second nuclear accident in 1995 between Norway and between Russia and Norway, and I said there would be an economic collapse of uh, America, and it would come in, the, in 94 to 96, and I said America would go to war, and the Soviet Union would collapse in 1989, and that America would go to war in the first weeks of August of 1990, and it would be called storm something, and it would be in the Middle East, and I mean, on and on and on and on and on. One of the things that also is that as America moves into economic instability, that there will be a series of major earthquakes worldwide. All right, I want to stop you for a second. Uh, your friend, in the introduction I read when we began the interview, said 96 out of 117 visions um, that you've had have come true. Okay. Now, now remember a, where this came from. Okay, it's an honor. This, this is a 20-year-old, Glenn. Well, I was going to just ask. Um, Gordon Michael has a newsletter. I haven't followed your life well enough to know the predictions that you made, and they're not really predictions, I'm sorry. Yeah, the this visions, is what I saw. The visions. Yeah, the um, visions. They're not predictions. Thank yeah. you very much. Were they in some way um, similar to what he was experiencing? No. Documented. In oh, other yeah. Words, he, oh, I mean, oh, yeah. Like, listed or 20 years old. In the early days, Art, I told everybody everything. You know, I would just tell everybody. And when I was doing the early days of the research, most of the early researchers had heard these stories. And it was them who told, they began to talk to each other. And then they would start telling other people. And they would say, you know, I wasn't out ranting and raving about the, the predictions. Because my concept of being able to look into the future was based on the fact that that would give me no place to run. That I would have to stay, stick, and do what I was appointed and what I was told to do to get it done. And I never looked at being a, a prophet as a very, uh, very, you know, I never had a good effect on that, you know. I, didn't yeah, well, these are, I guess these are just words. I don't know whether you call it prophecy or things that you relate that are coming because of visions you had. These yeah, this is what I see as the future and what, yeah. Mike, what Gordon is, Michael is talking about. I saw two major earthquakes. I mean, there were worldwide earthquakes going on. But the ones that I was focused on happened in America, somewhere in the middle of America, and then somewhere on the West Coast. Yep. And you would know how it would be triggered because you would have a series of earthquakes from Mexico all the way down to Chile. And once that happened, and this is like all this has to happen before 1998, 99. I mean, it has to be, it has to occur by then. And that this series of events would cause the, the pressure of uh, civil strife in, in South America and the earthquakes, collapsing economies, and then a worldwide, I mean, a, a, a Western Hemisphere movement, a migration from people like uh, immigrants into the United States that would force this issue into the southern state, I mean, to the southwestern states. And that this would be the way that you would know that we had entered that phase where if we weren't careful and didn't pay attention to where you were, then where the East Coast would literally be, I mean, the West Coast, would literally be devastated. I mean, no. everywhere in that, that, tra that train of events, in the middle of America. Gordon said 
that he saw millions of people coming from California to my state, Nevada, and others. Oh, yeah, he saw right. a mass uh, movement of refugees. It should be even more than that. I mean, it will be millions and millions. I mean, but see, listen, remember this. Remember this, Art. In our spiritual context, when an earthquake takes um, takes uh, 20,000 people and they're gone from the face of the earth in this earthquake, it's like Mardi Gras on the spiritual side. They don't care how you got back. They glad you're home. <laughs> Listen to me now. No, I am listening. Yeah, there's a complete difference between what's going on in Bosnia and murdering and raping and killing each other as opposed to natural disasters. So as people prepare... And as they look at their lives, because I write about it, too. I mean, some of the stuff that I've seen come true, it scares the hang out of me, but it doesn't mean that I'm not going to tell people and write it and tell it as honestly as I can tell it, because I have to deal with it. They can buy the book and deal with it and see how to protect themselves in a lot of situations, or they don't have to. I have to deal with it, you know. And I always never did like, I like understanding that I can see from the visions that I saw 20 years ago, and how consistent that they keep coming true. It just means that what they're doing on the other side, they know what they're doing because the key to the whole vision that I saw was that we could affect it. We can't affect natural phenomena that's going to occur. And what really gets me about people, Gordon Michael is sensing the nature of this planet in a solar system with thousands and thousands and thousands of other planets working in conjunction with each other in the natural course of their evolutionary process as a planet. And for us to conceive that thinks that, that we are having any great and grand effect on that other than we might be messing up their environment, which is true. Mm-hmm. But the Earth and the natural nature of, uh, of this solar system and this physical existence will in itself balance itself. Okay. Um, let me stop you for a second. And hey, with my own little thing, you haven't heard this because we haven't talked about it. You're not going to um, hurt me, are you? No, of course not. Um, um, anyway, I doubt I could, based on what you told me. <laughs> um, I am a talk show host. I haven't Good died. I haven't had a thanks, an NDE or a death experience. Or I haven't seen what Gordon says he's seen. But... I've been doing this program, or a form of it, all night long for 11 years now, and I perceive that events, economic, political, social, all areas of human endeavor right now are accelerating, quickly, quickening, moving quickly toward... I don't know. Well, okay, I don't know what. I don't... I, I, I can't... You know, I haven't seen that, but I do perceive what I call a quickening. And, and then there's one other thing, and this is maybe a little on the negative side, but I'll run it by you very quickly. And, and that is that, um, remember the old movie, High and Mighty? They're going from um, Honolulu to um, San Francisco. And in those days, you only had enough gas to get from point A to point B are not extra so that by the time you're out in the mid-Pacific uh, past the halfway point, you reach what was called a point of no return. And that meant no matter what the heck happened to the aircraft, you had to go on. Uh, you're going on. You sure as hell weren't going back because you didn't have enough gas to get back. <laughs> so 
I kind of think that we passed that point. I feel that we passed that point of no return. Now, that doesn't mean I think the end of the world's coming. It just means that I think that we're going to go on to whatever is next and that it's not very far away. I agree 100%. And I don't think that the time has passed. I think we're in it. In 1975 and 76, in conversations that are recorded on cassettes, it's written down, it's in newspaper articles, I said that 1994 to 1996 would be the year that we would make the greatest impact and to put our spiritual selves in order and to really catch our breath. And I believe that we would do that. I believe that it's happening. And so we, we have the ability to alter much of the future that's coming as powerful spiritual beings, and we must accept that place, and we must identify with that place. And the near-death experience affords the greatest opportunity for people outside of religion and government and institutions to look at how and who we really are, to identify ourselves, to look at the death issue, to get past that, because this world is going to change. It's going to go economically. It's going to go. Uh, it's going to go physiologically and environmentally because the shift and change is happening naturally, as well as that we are at a certain juncture in the growth process of the spiritual, physical dimension we call this life. All right, then I, I'll just lay this out. Uh, should these changes occur? Not should. They are going to occur. Okay, okay. okay. When they occur, yeah, now you when they occur, um, I'll stick with your uh, vocabulary here. Yeah. When, uh, when they occur, um, a lot of people, I mean, it's like right now you're talking to a lot of people who aren't going to be here. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Lucky dogs. Lucky dogs. All right. So, <laughs> when, you know, lay it really out straight for them. And if somebody were to ask you, look, Daniel, tell me about death. The greatest, uh, most wondrous part. In that, number one, it doesn't happen. Number two, you know, as a powerful and mighty spiritual being, that in you, what you're supposed to be doing and how you're supposed to be doing it, you know that, and most of us are doing that. The crisis comes in that we have been so driven into a fear-based psychology that death is some ultimate end, final judgment, you go to heaven and hell. That it's the greatest control mechanism and the greatest, the greatest hope ever put upon us. I recommend, and I say this all over, I lecture it all over the world, I talk about it, that if you go do hospice work, if you go and get yourself involved in this issue, mm -hmm. all over the world, I talk about it, that if you go do hospice work, if you go and get yourself involved in this issue, Mm -hmm. Put yourself in a place, because you're going to be there anyway, but in a lot more turbulent times. You're going to find out how deeply powerful and spiritual you are. You're going to find out how to identify, how to deal with the issues going on, how to reduce stress in your life. That's what I write about. I mean, that's what all I talk about. As I see this stuff happening, it's not me trying to be the next prophet or the next guru. It's me trying to be a guy that's seen the future, that watched it come true, that's seen the ideals and how death and all the things that they showed me were so accurate that I have to stand up and I have to defend and talk to my generation because we are the ones that will make the difference. Here comes 96 in election year. What is the number one issue? Managed care, health care. I'm supposed to think that that crowd that I saw 20 years ago didn't know what they were talking about when I'm watching it happen yeah. on CNN today. 
Raymond and I used to sit and be awesome amazed. It's always amazed me. You know, I, I'm not, this stuff happened 20 years ago. And I just happen to remember it and write it down, and it's indelib indelibly placed in my mind. You can sure. trust that. All right, uh, here's, here's the thing. Uh, how would you deal with this, based on what you've told us about death so far? Uh, it's from Rick, who says, you're an incredible guy. Could you please ask uh, Daniel how you explain the near-death experiences of those who claim to have gone to hell and back? I, I would have it it's easy. You have about three percent of the people who have near death experiences that lot of, that have hellish experiences. Now I don't, I don't. I mean, if anybody was going to hell, I would have been going. I can promise you that, pal. And if I didn't go, the odds of most people listening to this broadcast are slim to none. I'll get. I can cover that issue right off the top. The next point is that people who have hellish experiences. I'm not saying that they don't happen. But a lot of people who are describing near-death experiences are are having uh, are having shock reaction. They're having a hallucination. Yes. They're going through shock of chemicals. They're going through anesthesia shock. They're having a temporal lobe seizure. They're having a frontal lobe seizure. They have an oxygen brain deprivation. They're having the things that a lot of medical uh, a lot of people in medicine are saying that are the complete explanation of the near-death experience. Okay, I, I agree and I believe in that. I mean, I've looked at this process and watched it and gone back and studied myself and talked to people because when you, when you speak about how people trusting you talking about the value of life and death, then you better not. You better speak with an open, honest place and you better check it and look at it through yourself. You better be honest with them because if the stuff that the panoramic life is used in place and you're looking at how you're affecting the lives of people and that I will beat each of them, and people better believe I'm careful with what I'm telling them. All right, but look, you've seen, I'll bet you've seen the physician on, on television who, um, I forget, it was a network show, but he said, look, these people with near-death experiences, what's happening physiologically is that when your brain is deprived of oxygen and blood, blood and oxygen, same thing, um, it dies, and it dies from the outside in. In other words, the brain cells begin dysfunctioning uh, from yeah, the electron headed toward the core, and so it is no surprise that they see what appears to be a tunnel with a bright light, which is actually, according to the lady doctor on TV, the core or the center of the brain, the last... Yeah, the peptide bonds breaking down, causing endorphin release. The tunnel comes from neuro, neuro, the neurochemical nature of the brain sparking yeah. and reacting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oxygen brain deprivation. Yeah, you've got it. Yeah, our temporal lobe seizures, our frontal lobe seizures. I looked at all of those. I mean, I looked at them. I've looked at them and talked to people who, who are describing near-death experiences that are having anesthesia reaction and hallucinating. I mean, I, I mean, I'm watching this. I go through it a lot of times in my hospice work with people who are in their final hours of being alive, and I'm sitting there next to them. I'm watching this happen. There is a stark difference between the two. I believe that we have a biological, neurological shutdown, and a lot of these things that are described occur. But a near-death experience is complete. A 
state because it's completely different because you can hear people who say they've had these type of experiences, but the transformative nature of the near-death experience and the, and the true event is so awesome and so transforming that these people come back not afraid of dying, not only looking at their lives, but growing spiritually, becoming hospice volunteers, yeah. changing their whole way as a person who had one of these experiences that are hellish or that was an hallucination or apophylactic shock or any of these types of things. They're just going about their life and just deal with it as nothing occurred. That is the greatest point. And the panoramic life of you as though your life passes before you, which I know in drowning victims, it's a very common thing to have your life pass before you as you begin to breathe water into your lungs or what appears to be that. So in other words, you would just have to say to that doctor, uh, sounds good, but listen, lady, yeah, you... freak doctors who've become gods themselves, so to speak, because they live in life and death. That's the nature of the profession. Daniel, uh, bottom of the hour, rest, we'll be right back to you. My guest is Daniel Brinkley, and we'll both be back, I think, in a moment. FM, you bet. Weird Talk 102, WTAZ. Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. Oh, you read the book? Not yet. Sounds good. Oh, it is good. You've read it? Heard it. I got it from my audiobook club. Wait, it's an audiobook, too? Oh, yeah, lots of bestsellers are now. The Celestine Prophecy, that new John Griffin, The Rainmaker, mm. Jerry Spence, How to Argue and Win Every Time. Ah, uh, so that's your secret. But who has time for all those? I do, and you do, too, if they're audiobooks. I listen to mine while I can use. I could do that. If you'd like to listen to the books you haven't got time to read, welcome to the club, the Columbia House Audiobook Club. As your introduction, take four of today's best audiobooks for 99 cents. Call now for our booklet. Pick any four you want for 99 cents. And remember, there's always time for a good book if it's an audiobook. Does not include shipping and handling. Numbers must purchase four titles over the next two years at regular subtitles. Call 1-800-422-9939 for details. 1-800-422-9939.
And I'm trying to quit. It's hard. It's really hard to quit. I mean, I feel like I need it all the time. So why did I start? I guess it, I thought it was like the thing to do. I wanted people to think that I was cool. I guess I believed all those cigarette ads. Now it's not cool to smoke. I mean, it stinks. All my money is going to some guy making cigarettes. And he's made a lot of money off me. You think he cares if I die? Don't let your kids smoke. Don't let them be stupid. More people die each year from cigarette-related diseases than from illegal drugs, murders, suicide, car accidents, and AIDS combined. It's time to do something about it. A message from this station and the American Cancer Society. If you keep up with the country's leading financial publications, you've probably noticed these headlines. Term life insurance rates are ready to rise. Say farewell to level insurance premiums. Grab a good deal on term insurance while you can. In 1996, prices for level premium term policies could increase dramatically because of pending new regulations. The financial experts are urging everyone to act now to lock in the lowest possible rates. Fortunately, there's an organization called Best Quote that continually compares premiums from over 150 of the country's highest-rated life insurance companies to determine the best values in term policies for the least amount of money. When you call their 24-hour toll-free number, they'll mail you a free comparison of the five policies that represent their best value for you. Best Quote can save you up to 70% on your premiums, so get a jump on all the rate increases by calling Best Quote for your free comparison right now. Call 1-800-341-6699. That's 1-800-341-6699. Coverage is available in most states. This is Danielle Lynn, host of A Word on Health. On my program, I interview the leading health authorities in America and offer free sample products each and every week. Listen for A Word on Health, Saturday and Sundays, right here on many of these TRN radio affiliates. Every Saturday and Sunday morning at 10 Pacific Time, Danielle Lynn will educate you on a variety of health topics. Listen in on Talk Radio Network. The rad, recording artists against drunk driving. We all know it's fun to rock and roll and party. But if you're going to drink, please don't drive. Plan ahead and choose a designated driver. Music lives, and so should you. Don't drink and drive. Have somebody else do the driving. Brought to you by this station and the National Association of Broadcasters. You're listening to Coast to Coast AM here on Talk 102. was recorded for rebroadcast at this time. Please do not call. Call Art Bell toll-free. West of the Rockies at 1-800-618-8255. 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies at 1-800-825-5033. 1-800-825-5033. This is the CBC Radio Network. It certainly is. Good morning. I guess you know by now my guest from South Carolina, near Columbia actually, is Daniel Brinkley. This should say it all. It's a fact from Carol and Mesa. Fantastic. 
terrific program. Daniel, you're amazing. I want to thank you for being there to educate people. You're doing a truly marvelous service for mankind and planet Earth. Saw the TV movie about your life a few weeks back and thought it was great. Learned an awful lot about who and what Daniel Brinkley is. You certainly are an anomaly. That's interesting. An anomaly. I guess he is, isn't he? And he'll be right back. Listen, if you suffer from pain, not the kind that Daniel, uh, Daniel rather, uh, counsels for generally, but the more minor stuff, rheumatism, arthritis, joint pain, that kind of thing, there is now liquid aspirin. Whoever told you you had to take aspirin, two of them, and call me in the morning, whatever the line is, was wrong. This is liquid aspirin. It doesn't have to go into your digestive system. You can spray it right where it hurts. And it's just about miraculous, actually. It's just aspirin in liquid form. It's called Leprina. Why somebody did not invent it 50 years ago, I don't know. But it's here now. The people at Health Naturally can sell it to you. Uh, in fact, if you ask, they'll tell you how you can get an even better bargain price. Call Health Naturally for Leprina at 1-800-308-4565. That's 1-800-308-4565. One other item, and that is the secret of making money. Most people know it's having it to begin with. <laughs> or maybe having a rich relative die and leaving you a big bundle. Short of that, if you want to make it yourself, you've got to invest. You've got to have something to make some. Then you've got to invest it profitably, and that means the right business and the right time. Those uh, who wait are generally, it's, you know, like the big one that got away. This might be that. Microtech. Telecommunications. An $8,200 investment, not in licensed lotteries or something like that, but in actually established telecommunications facilities in cities across America. Many of them already built. Could return to you twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars or more, plus a yearly income for the rest of your life. Could go right into your IRA or retirement plan, if you will. It is though an investment. That means an up and down side. That's why they call it an investment. We'll send you a free video cassette. It'll explain all about it. Sit down, uh, watch it, decide for yourself. The call and the video cassette are free. You can call 24 hours a day, including right now, 1-800-444-1049. That's 1-800-444-1049. And I've been bad, I know. I don't have the lines open yet. I've got one, uh, I've actually got a lot of faxes here, but one I've got to ask Daniel about immediately. And that is, you apparently have had a vision uh, recently um, uh, told, uh, Daniel, according to this factor, something about uh, the secrets uh, or evidence of Atlantis found hidden in the tomb of Ramses II in Egypt. That's a question from Lexington, Kentucky. What are you, did, is there something to that, Daniel? Well, let me do this one first. First, for the person, the lady from Mesa, Arizona, uh, Mesa, I guess Arizona. Arizona, yes. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I appreciate what you're saying. Second, you still have terrific sponsors. <laughs> Third, yes. Uh, I have this, I have absolutely no question. I just came back from Egypt. 
see, I got to a place in my life where no matter what it takes for me to go and see and to watch these things happen, I'm going to figure out how to do it. I went to uh, Egypt, earthquake. And then I, as I was going over there, I'm talking to people in, who are going on a trip. The uh, Visions Tour was the tour that I went on, and there were uh, ARE tour was there, people just going to Egypt. I knew that from seeing the visions and looking in Saved by the Light, which has all of them in there, you know, Saved by the Light and at Peace in the Light have the visions and detailed and the ones that have come true and, uh, you know, just the, what's happened in the last year and a half, the things that I've talked about in Saved that there's no way I could possibly know that's come true. And I knew that there would be an earthquake, and as this earthquake would come about in the new ruins that are now going on there, the new ruins and what's going on is they're excavating the sinks and they're looking at it. Oh, I know. Right in that area. Right in that area. And I think it's in the place where uh, the Valley of the Kings is. That there is a series of chambers there after they found these 50 new graves. They've done sound wave tests and there's at least seven more rooms below these rooms. And I know that one of the parts that's going to really transform our knowledge of stuff is the discovery of these records. Okay. And I don't know if it's Atlantis, but I know that history as we now record it will have to be radically changed in the next two I, years. I believe, it. I believe it did. Now, here's the, here's the $64,000 question. With inflation, it's much more these days. And that is, if, and you're not the only one saying it, so many are, such a revelation is found. Um, wouldn't it be wonderful? Well, yeah, but the question is, would those who... ...pain the status quo, allow it to be known. <laughs> there is the fun part. Here's what I like best about our generation, the baby boomers. This is 40 to 64. We will face anything. We are not, we are able to look at it because we are evolved in a certain conscious level, like you said, it's accelerating. We who came at this particular period in time, who entered the earth at this particular time, are the best there is at what we do. We're the best because this is a time of transition in the mental, physical, and spiritual nature of this particular section of evolvement in the universe. We're powerful spiritual beings. We've existed. We chose to come here, and we were chosen to come here for a certain event, through a certain experience, and what we call a lifetime. Period. No question. This time is the greatest time literally in the history of the evolution of the conscious process, physically, mentally, and spiritually. And we're here. That's every single person on this earth. And every person on here is a powerful and mighty spiritual being with destiny, hope, vision, and succeeding. And they have panoramic life reviews and how they leave this world, I, I know about. I don't understand everything about birth. I don't understand everything about earth changes, but I understand how you right. leave this world. I know, but still, Daniel, not everybody. And you might refer to your so early, you might you, you might refer maybe. to your earlier life to try and answer the question. Yeah. Um, if somebody who's still they would be dead now. <laughs> I believe 
See, I believe that a lot of this stuff is still being contained. There's, you know, there's so much of the stuff that is being contained. What's the fun part is that I didn't have sense enough 20 years ago to know the difference. I just described what I saw, what would happen, and I've watched how, after 20 years, the scenarios create themselves. I believe that there there is groups of conspiracies trying to retain and keep the information. I have absolutely no question that one of the greatest supporters and believers in Gordon Michael Scallion is the Federal Emergency Preparedness Act. After I read what the Federal Emergency Preparedness Act is, I know it is somebody who knows that all this stuff is going to happen. Yep. They know the same thing that Gordon Michael's saying, that Daniel Dinkley's saying, that 50 other people out there in the world are saying. I came across it when I was dead. You know, that's when I came across this information. <laughs> people, and they would say, you know, I wasn't out ranting and raving about the, the predictions because my concept of being able to look into the future was based on the fact that that would give me no place to run, that I would have to stay, stick, and do what I was appointed and what I was told to do to get it done. And I never looked at being a, a prophet as a very, uh, very, you know, I never had a good effect on that, you know. I, yeah, didn't well, think these are, I guess these are just words. I don't know whether you call it prophecy or things that you relate that are coming because of visions you had. These yeah, are all this words. is what these I see words. as the future and what, yeah. what Mike, what Gordon... Here's the fact. I know. It is somebody who knows that all this stuff is going to happen. Yep. They know the same thing that Gordon Michael's saying, that Daniel Brinkley's saying, that 50 other people out there in the world came across this information. <laughs> all right? And it stayed with me and it keeps coming true. Well, that's a much higher security clearance than I've got. Well, not. So that's how I came about it, and I've watched it come true. We have the ability to change. We must watch, we must watch Bosnia. Bosnia is a position where the, the, the war between religions begins, Muslim and Islam. We must watch this, and we must be strong in our spiritual way we look at it, and we must keep our consciousness and look at it as, a, as an issue of this country that really affects its moral, mental, physical, and spiritual fiber. It could be World War Three, is what it could be, or it could be the beginning that that's where World War One started, World War Two started. We can affect change in those things. We can have conscious thoughts about these things. What do you think the most likely outcome there is? Well, we're getting ready to start a big war that yeah. lasts about nine years. Yeah. Uh, and this is where all you have to do is wait till Jerusalem will become the center of of the earth again soon. Now, uh, you know, they just uh, built with great and grand effort this bridge that allowed all our heavy armor and war machines to cross and so forth and so on. And, uh, I just love it. But I, 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 call it, I call it the bridge over the river. Why? Yeah, because, there, because somewhere along the line, Art, somewhere in this, this grand scheme, the art of free will came into play. But the art of free will that was never conceived that we ourselves would would try to maintain a certain existence out of fear or out of control, only two ways, that we would be afraid of leaving here. I think that that still baffles the spiritual side. I think that they can't figure out what in the hell locks us here are those people who try to control other people. Mm. But also in this, only the greatest of 
the spiritual beings come into this system. These are the great fighters. These are the great champions. Everyone who's listening to this program is an old, ancient, powerful spiritual being with history and heritage and greatness and grandeur, and they give all that up and they separate from it, and they come live in these bodies to work out an existence that somehow benefits all of mankind, all of spiritual kind, and keeps in the way that the systems of evolution, it keeps broadening or arises of the, the ability to the consciousness and comp to comprehend, or God, whatever that is. When people ask me, did I see God? I would know God if I'd seen God. I've seen where God lived and felt that presence of that loving nature. Daniel, uh, Daniel, let me stop you. Don't hurt, if, I don't, if I don't take calls, okay, I'm sorry. I'm in trouble. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. Let's take a few. Let's let, uh, let a few people ask you questions. Uh, east of the Rockies, someplace or another, you're on the air with Daniel Brinkley. Where are you calling from, please? From Minneapolis, sorry. Minneapolis, sorry. Yes. Yes. KSPP. Yes, sir. Thank you so much, Daniel. Um, your I, name? Mike. Hi, Mike. And I cannot wait to buy your book. Oh, thank you very, very much. I have read the book Embraced by the Light by Betty Eddie. Betty Edie. Or Edie, I'm sorry. It's different, Mike. I don't have a lot of religion as I attach to it. Mine are clear-cut ways that a person that's just an everyday guy who had this happen to him, who looks at it, who searched it out. You know, it's the everyday way I look at it. But mine's not filled with religion. It's just straight out looking at what happened to me, then looking with the saved by the light, and all the prophecies and all that cosmic stuff that... You know, I can't help it. I just happen to make mistake of telling everybody, okay? And then when I figured out how you do with it, how to take this stuff and incorporate it into your life so every day you, you understand the spiritual side of yourself as we deal with what the future holds. Okay. I, I was just curious on what you did think of the Bible. Are we living level? Oh, I like the Bible. Do you? Yeah. It's a fun. It's, but the Bible... Is, is a, is a, has a lot of true stuff to it. It has a lot of stuff that doesn't really kind of fit. I don't know. I went to look at where the Bible came from. And it, it came from the Edict of Nicaea in 325 A.D. when King Constantine, when King, when Justinian and Constantine, King Emperor Justinian wanted to make uh, Christian, Christianity the religion of the Holy Roman Empire. And he had a, had a meeting. And they had a thousand or so manuscripts, and every day some people would not show up to vote if you voted against what the Bishop of Rome wanted and things like that. So when you look at that, you put it in context, you sense that it is a spiritual something that comes through that to a lot of people. So they believe in ideals, and as they find that religious nature in their spiritual nature. All right, uh, caller, thank you. You pose, uh, I'm going to follow up on that caller's um, question. You mentioned Betty Eady. Yeah. Uh, I've, you know, seen her account and heard it on CNN and elsewhere, uh, Daniel, and your uh, position earlier was that when people die, uh, they will go through the, the same thing. They will go through what you went through, not once, but twice. Yep. So, uh, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but I'll ask it. Um, how then do you reconcile... The, the ED account with yours? Well, there are 14 million of those accounts. 
And each person sees it different. Ah. I mean, they have those slight, you have slight things that affect you in the early moments of you trying to comprehend the experience. Is that your predisposition? In other words, if you're a very religious person, do you perceive the same experience that you had? But you have to do, I, I, I would have to say that yes, because the makeup by which a lot of people are met by relatives. I have not, I've never been, to let you know what kind of person that I am, I've been over there twice and no relatives ever come to meet me yet. Not yet. Sir. Okay. But a lot of people are met by relatives. Were you, like, fa were you favored by your family? Well, I think they liked me pretty well. <laughs> but, you know, they knew what kind of kid I was. But a lot of people are, are met by their relatives. Yeah. Are they met by someone? Angels come to them. I've had people... Yes who I know weren't hallucinating, who, who breathed their last breath and talked to me about angels or their mom or uh, the person that they would most need to come to them to help them know it was a safe journey. And I've heard them describe angels and their moms and beings of light. And I mean, I've been here for 17 years and 150 people and families and dealing with these issues. And I, I write about them. And in dealing with the issues, I... I have to say that there's some things about how people look at stuff. Because Betty, I, I like Betty Eady. I mean, I like her. A lot of that stuff I don't quite go along with. But you look at Betty knowing that she was an Indian raised in a Catholic uh, mission where they beat it into you, then became a Mormon, you know, trying to find a religious context to put it in. And hers is a description of all of that. I mean, I, I can't say that it, it's different from me. And, but I'm going to stick with what I say. All right, well, good enough. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air with Daniel Brinkley. Hi. I'm on the air. On the air you are. Yes, turn your radio off. Yep. Call the wild card lines, area 702-727-1295. Well, let's, we've got to do no, that. The one thing we can't do is give last names on the air. So your name is... my last name. Oh, I'm sorry. You're Paul where? I'm in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Oh, La Crosse, okay. Hi, Hi Paul. Right line and all that there? <laughs> yes, you're on. Well, I've, I've been listening, and the agent says that he's a practical guy, and that I don't know. He has NDE if his mind or his consciousness or spirit had been weighted in any scientific or material insights into the physical universe. He mentioned things about the universe, and I was wondering if that came up at all in his insights or anything. Apparently, with the nature of, uh, uh, army. Yeah, see, listen to this. In the early days of this, I wrote in notebooks. I have notebooks of things that I scribble down, but I still don't know what it means because I would sit and day after day, like this went on, you know, this went on for almost two years where I was learning to walk and to pass it out. There were so many things that happened that I myself still can't comprehend what it means and how it relates because I, I have no sister. Sure. But there was, there was a time, Paul, on the other side, when I was moving toward the Crystal City. It was as though I could conceive of all things, but I literally could take, take a drop of water and break it down from hydrogen into oxygen, you know, H2O, and then break down the molecular bonds and look at how many electrons was around each cell. And I could take and drop that drop of water into the ocean. And like this was knowledge, I could conceive of the entire ocean or in one drop at a time and everything that was in that ocean, and I could do it that fast. Can you conceive uh, of that kind of awareness? Uh, yeah, go ahead. That is uh, mind expander there, but 
Yesterday you talked about antimatter and possibly was detected in England. They thought they had a little bit of it. No, 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 no. They, they have in fact uh, created antimatter for a very... Uh, right. uh, I've always yeah. 40 minutes of a second in Switzerland. Thank I've you. always been a science bug, and I was wondering if, uh, you know, when you talk about cosmology and astrophysics and... Uh, but they always the, slip in... Particle physics. Yes. Some strange things are going on there. I was wondering... But we're always slipping in this one simple phrase, parallel universes. For antimatter to exist, Paul, you must be defining a parallel universe. All right, well, that's there right. always what you go from quantum physics to dynamics to atomic physics to now atomic with nuclear physics, which is which is what's unlocking all the keys. The nuclear physics is our, and biological physics are what's unlocking the keys. When you look at them, it's talking about a paralleling universe, positive and negative, alternating frequencies, yin and yang. Well, the fact that there is this side and then there is the spiritual side and how we deal with both sides is the intellectual side makes it positive. You have a proton, electron, and a neutron, and our middle place is the neutron. A positive is the, is the spiritual. Our negative is the earth nature. Then when you look at yourself as that, you really get a grip on the dynamics of how how very specific and defined that this integrated universe operates. All right, here's a really good one for you, then. Uh, do you think it's po- do you think it possible, Daniel, that science will ever uh, hard science now? I'm talking about just might and wouldn't it be strange breach scientifically uh, that that barrier uh, that can only now be reached by. I guess dying and going to another universe, or oh, yeah. going to wherever you're, we're going. Yeah. Uh, could uh, science suddenly make that breakthrough? And well, when you look at science as in the nature of alternative therapies and compatible therapies, and then doing follow-up programs, you can watch things like meditation and guided imagery and aromatherapies. A lot of the things that are written about in the book that I, we're going yeah, to. Uh, I, suddenly make that breakthrough and well when you look at science as in the nature of alternative therapies and compatible therapies and then doing follow-up programs you can watch things like meditation and guided imagery and aromatherapies a lot of the things that are written about in the book that i saw on the other side the things that we didn't get to cover you think you'll have me back sometime uh oh of course i will in fact um i wish i you don't want to do another hour do you then yeah, I'll do another hour. You do Let's another, do another hour. half hour. Oh, well, all right. Well, 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 you know, if you're going to do a half hour, you might as well do an hour. You shouldn't, shouldn't do just yeah, half hours. You can do another hour standing on your head. Okay, let's go. You know you can. But what, what, what I mean is... Yeah, but we're going to get to talk to people. People are going to ask questions. That's right. right. That's right. Well, okay. could it happen to you? Apparently, Art Bell sucks. Someday. Oh, it could it's break there now. Go. Look at remote viewing. Look at what's happening in the remote viewing. Look at the work that Raymond Moody's doing in studies of psychomantiums and the ancient Greek oracles. Look at the work that that uh, regression therapy as a, as a therapeutic modality is in the place and, and the results of that in dealing with chronic psychological problems, the fact that you had a past life that's possibly affected this, the work that Brian Weiss is doing. Look at what James and Sally Redfield are doing. I mean, these are like good friends of mine. Look at Larry Dossey putting prayer and medicine back in the earth. Oh, it's true. I mean, a, lot, a lot of people think that uh, there are many people with this knowledge, uh, Daniel, that are 
through programs like Nightline, all the rest of them that are breaking out, are preparing us to receive this information. Oh, absolutely they're doing it. I don't have any doubt about it. I, I'm full support that, like, UFOs, and I never believed any of this kind of stuff. I never, you know, you couldn't get me. And I've been dead a couple of times, and I still didn't believe it. You know, the, the stuff about UFOlogies and all the bacteriologies, because when I worked in the intelligence, it was so compartmentalized, Art. It was so compartmentalized that it would be sometimes 10 years before I knew what I was doing when I was doing it there. Mm-hmm. I had, you know, it was need to know. I had one job. I didn't know what everybody else was doing, and there might have been 30 people there. All right, look. Now, seven minutes or something to just rest, and we'll be back to you, all right? What a compelling interview. Daniel Brinkley is my guest from South Carolina. And yes, we'll lay heavily on the phones in the next hour, which we just squeezed from him. You're listening to CBC. Oh, my guest is Daniel Brinkley. It is a rare, rare opportunity indeed for you to speak to him. Uh, just about uh, entirely. So, Daniel, uh, thank you, first of all, for staying another hour. Thank you for having me, Art. I, I had to squeeze pretty hard, but to... And, and thank all those people for allowing me into their lives. And I also would recommend everybody... <clears throat> I mean, it's amazing. I love your sponsors, Art. <clears throat> I would recommend everybody listening to pay attention to commodities. I, would, I mean, just for me, I'm not a financial advisor. And I'm not going to pretend to be one, but I would write for this kid. I, oh, mean, yeah. I would write for this kid. If everyone is out there listening who thinks I have any sense at all, look at commodities and be an expert in it. Because when paper doesn't have a value, when paper no longer has a value, where we live today and the new money and the new currencies being issued, it, it is everyday going, life and yep. our everyday life is going to... It's going to come to that, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It's, coming to, it's already come to that. It's just the realization of it. If I'm right, from looking at how the predictions are, what's happening in Japan now will just roll across Europe and into America, and we'll literally enter a depression, which for some people is the greatest moment they can have. So for people who are not really paying attention to their spiritual selves and their, their mental unfoldment and what's trying to keep in control this massive explosion of spiritual growth, which is making us like when you said us, the people who are 50 years old, 10,000 a day are turning 50 years old, right. this impact, this impact is the greatest impact in the history million Americans, and I think from 1940, there's 81 or 2 million Americans that can speak with a voice concerning death, concerning issues, the quality of life, and they must understand that that's their responsibility as spiritual beings, not just as citizens or patriots. They must. And when they look at it, Look at, I mean, I'm, I know I'm saying buy my books, but when you look at it... Yeah, let's do that for a second. I mean, in a hard way, um, I've been meaning to do that. Two things are coming up. One is you're going to Las Vegas. I know you are, right? Yes. When? I'm going to Las Vegas on the 20th for to, to deal with hospice and to uh, talk about... Um, 
Well, just tell my story and to talk about how and teach a technique that people can use in hospice work because of, if I think what I'm right about as we're into this economic depression. So you're going to be speaking publicly? Yeah. I'm going to uh, drag this from you. Where are you going to be and when? On the 20th? Do you know when? The 20th, I'm in Las Vegas and... In Light Times Magazine in Las Vegas is putting it on, and I don't know anything else about it. <laughs> all, right. all right, all right. Uh, well, we'll all have to find out there. Melanie does that. Later. I don't, uh, you know, I, I want to, I'm going there because of uh, a group of people who are really interested in uplifting consciousness. Because Las Vegas is a place that has a really high spiritual group of people in it. But when I was there, I went there for a show, and I, I never looked at it from any other point except to go in and do what I was doing and leave. But I went talking about the near-death experience, and I realized that a lot of people who go to Las Vegas, the closest they get to spirituality is Lady Luck. And I lived through part of that in the early days, which is like in, at peace in the light. But in the early days, how I would use the perceptive capability that I gained out of it to do things like that. Like I would be able to call Blackjack and I would bet on horses. I could deal with things that, was alive, that were alive or I couldn't do roulette or numbers, but I could do living things. I could tell when or what was going to win or call uh, bowling games and pins and what would be left and people would bet on it. All right. Look, I'm going to make you do it. Your two books, Saved by the Light, and your new book, A Peace with the Light. These, I take it, uh, what are they? Are they both HarperCollins? HarperCollins. Uh, back. Yeah. Uh, well, I've got the hardback version of yeah. your new book. Uh, at any rate, they are available widely. People can go get them in just about any bookstore, right? Yeah. Yep. All right, that's good. That's good. Thank enough. you very much, Art. Well, well thanks everybody for listening. <laughs> thanks for going and buying my book. All right, West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Daniel Brinkley. Hello. Hi, Art. This is Barbara in Oregon. Barbara in Oregon. Hi, Daniel. Um, Art, first of all, I want to thank you for being so open-minded and and, and having people like Daniel on the on the on your show. Sure. Um, Daniel, I'm. Uh, I've written to you, I'm one of the, probably many people have written to you after they've seen you on TV, and, and I went to buy Saved by the Light, and it was sold out when it first came out. Um, the clerk at the store asked, what's the big deal with this book? <laughs> and um, It sold a lot of copies, it sold a couple million copies. Yeah, I I just, I wanted to thank you. There's, there's something, um, but I have a question, though. Uh, as a baby boomer, I was born in 1953. Mm. And as I look back over my life and, you know, everything from having to get in the hall for air raid drills when I was younger and, you know, moving through the 60s and the 70s, the whole thing, the rules changed and they're about to change again. Drastically. Okay. My parents tried to pass on what they thought was a, a set of enduring rules to me and it's never quite fit. About 10 years ago, I was kind of shaken awake. I call it kind of being spiritually kicked in the behind, you know, to wake up. Happens to a lot of us, honey. Oh, and I, and 280,000 votes to get me there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mine wasn't as drastic as yours. Yeah, thank God. So you're a lot smarter than me. Uh, well, it moved me around a little bit, but my question has to do with my kids. 
What is, now, what I is don't it? know what to tell him. I don't know how to prepare my kids. You let them be saved by the lie. That's a good question. And you sit down and get your children involved and say, hey, look, guys, there's a little moral decay going on around here. But it's the opening void before a great spiritual awakening. The more information in one and two-page paragraphs that a, a, a parent takes out and lays around the house, you know, uh, look at Celestine Prophecy, look at uh, books and information that you put around the house that's just opening up their conscience, put a couple of tabloids around, get something that's short that they can read and look to touch a spiritual nature. Because the moment that those are ancient and powerful spiritual beings, as surely as they are your children, and your job is to give them as much open access to what is spiritual, so in other words, that's experience. In other words, don't underestimate their ability to... Oh, absolutely not. They roll it in. They're here for the same reason you're here, sister. They're here because they come to prepare for a series of events that will occur after 2004 to 2014. I don't, I don't really know what's going, what's going to be all of that, Robert. See, I don't know, but I know up to 2004 what's going to be happening. But by the year 2009, 10, or 11, we will be in a spiritual position so unique and so unfathomable by us at this point that it's useless to think about it, dealing with every day. The more information that these kids have about spirituality, not morality, because they live in a world where all that's kind of been pushed aside. What do you see between now and 2004? Through Barbara? No, you. What do you see between now and 2004? You said, you oh, do I see some of the wildest stuff in the world, but, but I see the potential. For us as a group, we the baby boomers, a potential group of spiritual warriors that came here that can really change the course of history towards spirituality. And because we must face our own reality, I uniquely, among others, have seen how the system works and what the reward system is and why I write and what I talk about. Is, Listen, guys, we're out here and we're going to deal with these things whether we want to or not. We might as well deal with them as they truly are in the spiritual context which makes everything else less as painful. All right, well, we're going through the evolution of our of our government. We don't have a government anymore. It's collapsed. So. All right, uh, but here, here, Billy from El Paso asks a good question, one that everybody's asking. I'm surprised your guest hasn't mentioned God or his creator with reference to his near-death experiences. It seems to me that his whole approach is very secular, even with respect to the, quote, being, end quote, that he saw. Is that the way you would describe what occurred to you? Secular? Well, no. No, because, you see, mine, I said when we were preferencing as we began, I said this is 20 years later. To describe the, the near-death experience is to describe that there is a great and powerful loving Lord God and that there is a life after death and it is a system that is so wonderful and so spiritual. I can't use the term God so much, although I know there is a God, but I didn't see God. I saw the most wondrous series of events in this world of how a person leaves this world and then has been a hospice volunteer dying with people and living right there with them as they're breathing in and out their last breaths and the conversations and the things and some I've known for some I got to know for years, some I only knew for one day. Now, how do I take what I've learned 
And how do I take what I know and apply it in this world every day so that we're growing spiritually before we get to the other side to prepare us? And that's what my whole nature is about. But, I mean, that's what I thought we'd been talking about. But there's a great and wondrous God. There's a great and powerful spiritual nature that is also us. I, I respect your right to describe it in, in, in the way that you recall it. And there will be a lot of people out there, as you all know, that just can't handle that. Well, they want it described in terms that will give them comfort. And I understand that, and I don't put them down at all for it, but they're just never going to agree, and they're going to say, Come on, Daniel, say it. It was God. If you don't say it, then it's a bunch of bunk you're saying. Okay, if that'll help them find their spiritual self, it was God. It was God. <laughs> I want people to listen, Art. Oh, my mission is that people don't die alone. I hear you. My mission is to get my generation in the streets learning how to deal with this issue and to use techniques that I've learned from being on both sides. And that I know what it's like to be afraid, pal. I know what it's like to face death. I know what it's like to die. I know what it's like to see the other side. I know what it's like to have to come back and live and to go through years of pain and stuff to get to where I am and to be able to look at it. But all that that everybody's going to get to do. We're all going to go through that process. We're all going back over there. But I better talk to people about how to use it here. I better write about how to use it here. Better not philosophize. Better say this is this is the way, and then you can get out and you can test it. We have a fake system that we put. They have built our beliefs off of institutions, religions, and government. That's right. That is crumbling. We must have a belief system I really that we agree. can put our faith in. And I'm trying from just what one fool from South Carolina had happened to him, put it in a, in a context with people just who are like I am. Okay, about that you're dead right, Daniel. Remember, because you and I, I'm a little older than you are, you remember uh, early on yeah. when you were young, you remember the, the FBI, for example, would come out and there would be a, a television news bulletin and they'd come to the podium and they would make a statement. It was like, the FBI would say something, and it was like it was written, you know, on a tablet and brought down. I mean, you could believe it, flat out believe it. The institution of the FBI, unquestioned. The president, they were lying un in. Unquestioned. Well, yeah, that may be, but the institution or a concept of the institutions is crumbling all around us. Absolutely, the way it should be. In order for the new to live, the old must surely pass away. All right, look, I, I promised phone calls. Uh, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Daniel Brinkley. Hello. Yes. Oh, yes, sir. Uh, my name is Jack, and I'm also Hi, a baby Jack. boomer. Yes. You're, you're a baby boomer. Where are you? Uh, in Boulder, Colorado. All right. Hi, brother. Hi. Um, yes, good evening, both you gentlemen. Um, you know, I, I, on the other hand, uh, really uh, feel that I, I can understand what you're saying because it resonates from a kind of non-theistic point of view, and it does... It also resonates with um, with the Tibetan um, take on death, and they've sort of developed a science of dying even since the 8th century with the Tibetan Book of the Dead and so on. Uh, and and you, you really do agree um, from what you've been saying on, on two very important points. One is that what you experience at the time of death is, whether it be peaceful or wrathful, is yourself. Yeah, and that the mind aware of. But, you know, people feel this enormous amount of love, and that's how they describe it. What they don't really, really realize is they're feeling themselves for the first yeah. time in you know, about 70 or 80 years. Yes. You know, and and the other thing feeling that, that you are in agreement with, uh, this book from the 8th century, is 
is that the mind does not die. And, and I have one simple question to ask you, basically. And what will help us or me when it works? When we die, what helps a person when they die? Hospice work. Listen to me, Jack. To go today and become a hospice volunteer and to read Chapter 9, just go to the bookstore and just read Chapter 9 in, in that piece in the light and try the technique. You will all of a sudden have begun to create the greatest position for you to open up your consciousness. When you're dealing with an issue of a person leaving this world, they're having it, and they talk about their life, and you listen. You both have panoramic life reviews. You're assisting them in having one before they go to the other side. They, in that same moment, are assisting you in reviewing your life compared to theirs. That is one of the greatest, most awesome learning experiences for somebody in our generation to come, because we're not going to have to deal with our moms and dads. We're going to deal with our brothers and sisters, and then maybe even ourselves. But can another person do the kind of work you're doing with? Without having experienced what oh absolutely you can it's it's like getting all the benefits from what I went through and not have to pay the medical bill you know I don't recommend I have what I call the Daniel long course and the Daniel short course right the Daniel long course is listen to three hours of you and I talk the, the Daniel short course is stick a screwdriver in a 440 outlet <laughs> and any way you want to learn it it suits me and we'll all just stand around I'll wait for you to get up I don't have a problem about it I want people to say okay let's see what happened to this fool and let's listen to what he's done with it and let's look at that and then let's try if he's really done this stuff and he's been doing this for 20 years and you know he's been really doing this then why not let's try it if that's all he figures that it took him 20 years to figure out what good it is to know that there's a life after death not be caught up in that it is because anybody who's listening or who's not listening that thinks there's not a life after death that's a fool all right a personal a hard question for you, Daniel. Oh, I love and, it. And this is, have you ever examined your own reason for doing the work with the dying, all this hospice work? Are you certain that you are not trying to confirm what you believe to be true through your two experiences? In other words, that half of your work is for you. Oh, I would say that all of it's for me. That's not the reason, but I, it's just as selfish as you can possibly be. I honestly admit, and I write in the books that I missed the other side so much. But the closest, when I first started doing hospice work, well, after the first one or two people, which were friends of my father, well, I started hospice work with my father asked me to go see somebody that was a friend of his that was in his 80s, and that I had watched through the years the friendship between my father and this person, and because I had helped a bunch of people, you know, deal with this, sure. He said, would you go and talk to uh, this friend of his? And I went. And that's how I started hospice. But I got, as I got into it, I realized that I missed that place so much. But that's why I did it. I like to be around that place because I'm, I can experience a lot of what I experience. Must be a great comfort for a lot of people. Bottom of the hour, clock, I have to attention to do it. Daniel Brinkley is my guest. We'll be right back. I'm Marcel. And by the way, you can begin calling that number now if you wish. Daniel, uh, this question, have you ever heard of any NDE near-death experiences where one does not remember seeing anything, but actually has gone through some sort of transformation from a near-death experience? Mm -hmm. uh, Melvin Morris writes, and Ken Ring write a lot about that. 
in Melvin Morris's book, uh, Closer to the Light, he talks about kids changing and never and never remembering until they're like six and seven years old what happened. And some people changing and going back into hypnosis being realized they had a near-death experience. Hmm. But a lot of people block it out because dealing with being on the other side makes it really hard to to do the stuff that you came back for. But a lot of people say they've been given a choice on it. You know, it's really systematic and wondrous about how the near-death experience affords such a comfort and understanding that we don't die so we can get on about living. But a lot of people, a lot of people, when they're dealing with it, they are given a choice whether to come or to stay. No one ever gave me a choice because if someone had given me a choice, we wouldn't be having this conversation. You'd be gone. Oh, you could forget this. I mean, I wouldn't even think about it. And that's the first time. The second time when I when I was I given a choice, but it's not really much a choice. I wanted to come back. I would not miss these times, and with what I go through, I wouldn't miss these times and the chance for it to spiritually evolve from what I've seen through all the events that are coming. I wouldn't miss them to go back over there and stay. This is the greatest time for growth and unfoldment and understanding, and the greatest opportunity that we as physical, mental, spiritual beings will ever get. Yeah, these are going to be interesting years, aren't they? Well, these are the most mag... The next 10 or 12 years aren't, are they going to be the most wondrous, ever-evolving, erupting, changing, chaotic, horrendous, marvelous, <laughs> terrific times that's been... I mean, I don't think that's ever come since the... Uh, I know. I, I, I've not had your experiences, but I, I certainly can feel that. Yeah. That's true. East, east of the Rockies, back to Holmes, Daniel. Discipline, discipline, discipline. Yeah, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Daniel Brinkley. Hello. Hello, Warren. Where, where are you, sir? Uh, I'm calling from Ohio. WJR country from Detroit, I bet. Right. Okay. Right. Uh, hello, Daniel. I really enjoyed uh, watching your movie on TV. Thank you very, very much. I thought Eric did a good job. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's hard watching yourself in two-hour TV movies and things like that, but I think it came across a lot of, of what I felt, of what really happened to me, you know. Fairly representative. Yeah, it was pretty, did a pretty good job. I was a lot worse than they, they made me out to be. I was a lot bigger jerk than even, <laughs> but I was. I mean, you know, they. I was, that that kind of leads into my question uh, uh, to you, Daniel. Is uh, do you think that the way we act is uh, mainly is the effect of past lives that we have lived? And I also wanted to ask you if you uh, were familiar with uh, mental procedures called Avatar. All right, thank you. Uh, uh, Avatar, does that ring a bell? Oh, yes. Um, and, and, and the other question have lives. Yeah, the other question was this. I believe that we, as I watch regression therapy, and I'm watching it, and with Winifred Lucas and Brian Weiss and oh, yeah. some of the people who were monsters in the field. Sure. And it's because I get to chew them because I'm like a big shot now. I get to walk up to them and ask them questions. <laughs> you know, and before, you know, I'm just this little guy. I'm still this little guy, but I walk up to them and I can talk to them now. And I listen to these people speak very sanely and how regression therapy as a, as a therapeutic modality is seriously helping people get over a lot of things, a lot of problems that they're having emotionally and psychologically. So 
I can't deny it. I don't believe that everything is rooted in our past. I'm not a karma believer. I'm not a person that believes in karma that you got to always keep coming back here till you get it right because from what I saw, those of us who were here would never come for that reason. It would have to be less than 10 or 15 percent for you to come back and keep doing it till you get it right. But your first and main mission is, is the evolution of the spiritual nature of all of creation and somehow through some dynamic, this earth life does that for this particular system of spiritual growth. And that we're in this one little planet in a group of planets. I don't think we're by ourselves anymore, but we're in this particular group operating in our identity. And that that, that in itself is one of the most powerful things that exists. That's the most powerful in that we are here. And so all of us that are here are that way. So when, when you say that you come back over and over or reincarnation so that stuff from past life experiences are but if you were here first to fight and to protect and keep a certain light that perform a certain function you're here second for yourself and third for some kind of something you might have felt bad about or something you had to keep doing because by the time you got here you were ancient and powerful and wondrous all right. This is not the place for the little league. This is the big league. All right. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Daniel Brinkley. Where are you and who are you, please? My name is Peggy. I'm from Austin, Utah. All right, Peggy. Hi, Peggy. Uh, speak up good and loud. Okay. I've been, you know, I'm a fan of this. I, I love your show. Thank you. Um, I've got a quick comment and then a question. I'm a nurse and I take care of a lot of hospice-type patients. And I would encourage the public, the listening audience, to get involved. There's nothing more rewarding than that. Yay! Yeah. No doubt. See, if we can get people to pay attention to, and, and when you, you look at it from how I see it, that one day you're going to be those people. Can you imagine a guy in 1975 getting to be the people whose lives he brutalized and literally destroyed and some he killed, then 14 years later getting to be the person that when they walk, when I walk in that room, they have nobody, like the children dropped them off at the emergency room. They've been in this nursing home for 10 years, and no one's ever come to see them until I've come to see them. And, and I get them because they have three weeks left to live. And to know that I'm going to be that person one day doesn't make me real heroic to do the work that we, we do, Barbara. So it doesn't make us that. It just makes people understand that we have to get back touching our spiritual selves. Okay, here's my question. When you had your... Would you uh, agree with that? I do agree with that. Okay, go ahead. I mean, there's nothing... You know, there's death is not the worst thing in the world. Oh. It is not. Some of the poor existence some of these people have to suffer through. Um, now, when you had your near-death experience, when you talked about seeing the people that you had encountered, now, were, what about the people that you had joy with? You know, the happy times... I had that too, but I had both of those. I just didn't have a lot of those the first time. <laughs> you know, I didn't have a lot of being nice to people in the first near-death experience. So, in other words, you saw what was there and what had been there. What, yeah, but it's not that joyful. Yeah, oh, yeah, there, you, have, you see everything. It's not really, I'm not trying to get anybody to believe that, that it's a hellish experience. Mine was because of just the type of personality I was. There, you know, you're going to have, you're going to get to be the people you've helped. Imagine this: you're going to get a chance to feel the love, care, and concern you've given every person that you've helped in this situation as a nurse. You're going to literally be them. And 
think of the joyous moments of you when you held somebody's hand or you pat him on the shoulder or you just checked on them one day, which is to them the most glorious moments in, in their whole existence, or that you listen to them talk for five minutes. You're going to get to be that and feel the joy and wonderment. People have to understand that when you have your life passed before you and you see it, you don't just see it from a bunch of those events. You see it from this. Let's say, and this is the best way to put it, if God couldn't come today, and God sent you, and you are the difference that God makes in the events you're now witnessing, what difference did God make through you as you are judging you? Now that's how people are going to look at it. But we are really insignificant. It's as if we were the difference that God made in every event of everything that we watch in this panoramic life of you. And you'll be amazed at how literally insignificant you are in the panoramic life of you as of what you symbolically represent here in this physical plane. Hey, here's a real literal question for you, uh, Daniel. Um, please ask Daniel to go through, and year by year, through the future events that he has seen, those that have not yet occurred. Would you care to give that even a try? Oh, I don't even want to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that except that I can tell people what to watch out because I'm not going to do, I've done that. It's written down. All right, well, give them the best watch out then. Short version. Well, I'll give you the best version. The best version is get involved in hospice work and start dealing with death as an issue. Number one, point blank, don't keep waiting for things to happen all around you. Deal with the one issue that gives you the peace, control, and confidence within yourself death, regardless of what it is, deal with that. Once you deal with that, as you look at each other scenario, Bosnia, as this will either erupt into a war or it'll become a peaceful place. It will either let you watch Kabul, whoever wins the war in Afghanistan, will start and that what will happen if we're not careful is if it serves, which are Christians, killing Bosnians, which are Muslims, they will react and the Middle East will react and begin to polarize. What is going to happen is in Jerusalem, within the next uh, 14 or 15 months, it will become the center of the earth again. It will do this because Jerusalem will become almost like a papacy. It will take on this, like a holy see, the city within the city, and be administrated by religion, dealing with either the, the Palestinian or Islamic faith, the Jewish faith, and the Christian faith, dealing either with the Eastern Orthodox Church or the Catholic Church. I believe it'll be a combination of both. When that occurs, all that other stuff is the earthquakes begin and now the West Coast earthquakes all the way over and all the way up and down our coast and the coast of Central and South America. Then an influx of more immigrants will start pouring in. And what if we don't really watch out? Then as the new money is being issued, we keep putting tighter controls. The key is health care and being able to pay attention to health care and being able to keep your mind realizing that they, as the new Medicaid and Medicare plans come into existence in this year, not five years from now, a year by year, because if you deal with these issues and we stand up and face and read and look at these issues like Senate Bill 1035, which deals with access to medical treatment acts, right. that if you don't support these kinds of bills and look at these kinds of bills, and it doesn't make any difference what's going to happen. You would have lost your right to control your own destiny. All right. Uh, phone. How was that? That was excellent. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Daniel Brinkley. Hello. Hello, this is Manny from Houston, Texas. Hi, Hi Daddy. Hi, Daniel. Listen, Daniel, I read your book two and a half times, and I think it's very electrifying. Uh, Thank you very much. I just want to put a word. 
I'm sorry. I just wanted to uh, like to point out that uh, Dr. Moody might have had it slightly wrong when he called them NEDs. Perhaps y'all should label them END, N, experience near death, N, get it. Well, I, I call them near life experiences because I was more alive when I was on the other side than I ever was here. And what I talk to in my lectures, man, is I listen, I tell people, I said, look, this is dead. I say, listen, I don't want to get anybody really depressed or anything, but let me tell you something. This is as dead as you're ever going to get. We are the dead. You're right now as dead as you're ever going to get. You'll never get any more dead than this. And once you realize that... I like that. But it's the truth. Well, I like it. And once you realize that, you got to realize that forever is not near as long as you think it is. It's a whole lot longer. And you're going to have to find out, you're going to have to find a lot of stuff to do. Keep yourself busy if you're going to be around forever. So we're actually we're actually room temperature right now. Metaphorically, room temperature. Oh, yeah. you, you, you to the Rockies. You're on the air with Daniel Brinkley. Hello. Hey, how you doing? This is Pete from uh, Who Dat. Uh, Who Dat down in New. Who what? Michael Lee at In Light Time. Is there a phone number or something? Thank you, and thanks for letting me into the hearts and minds of your audience. Well, I wrote down all 800 numbers. You made it. Thanks, Daniel. Bye, guys. Have a good night. Daniel Brinkley, CBC. We'll be right back. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. A great pleasure to interview. And, um...